I invite you to pray with me. Well, Lord, I'm grateful for your word. And in the words of Romans 12, 2, I pray that, that we would be renewed in our mind to test and approve what is your goodwill. And I pray that you would help us as we go through the various trials and temptations of this life. And as the preacher this morning, I pray that you would help me as well. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So we are in the sixth petition, depending on how you want to count it, from the Lord's Prayer. Kind of the first three are focused on God's name, God's will, and God's kingdom. And then the second three are focused on our daily bread, forgiveness of our trespasses. And then today, the sixth one is about protection. But it really has part A and part B. Many of the scholars from St. Augustine to John Calvin the Reformer to our our uh, Anglican J.I. Packer mentioned this is really one request, but we're going to parse it out in two pieces. So I'm going to look at the first part, and then this week, and then next week on Palm Sunday, we're going to have uh, Jack McNeil's going to preach on the second part, which is deliver us from evil. So today I'm looking at lead us not into temptation, but keep in mind it's part A and part B. So I want to ask this question at the beginning: Have you been tempted lately? Are you aware of temptation? I find that oftentimes we're being tempted for a very long time before we even realize it's happening. We're unaware. It's like walking across a battlefield where bullets are flying without realizing where we're standing. And temptations are constantly happening in this life. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. I I find personally that as I do some self-examination, this time of year in Florida is more dangerous for me than other times. The days get longer, the weather's like perfect, All, everyone with any hobby or activity is doing it. Just look at the boat ramps, just look at the traffic, the spring break, go out to the beach, all that stuff, and I find that all these desires start coming. So I thought in a personal way I'd read to you a journal entry from my journal from the 14th of this month. I wrote, Dear Heavenly Father, I am in need of you. My heart is so quick to move from one thing to the next in search of only you know what. I get interesting ideas and I'm off chasing a rabbit. Lord God, my heart is always restless. Help me please to find rest in you. What to do? I just keep adding complexity to my life, not simplicity. Lord God, I need more prayer and focus on you. Lord, have mercy. I think that's a prayer written in the spirit of, Lord, lead us not into temptation. That's kind of how it felt. I was aware of the pitfalls in this season in my own life. Are you aware of your danger zones, of times when you're more likely to be tempted, or even if you are struggling with a temptation, are you aware that's happening? Now, this prayer, lead us not into temptation, has wording that is kind of confusing, In fact, I I went back, I remembered that Pope Francis of the Roman Catholic Church um, approved a change to the Lord's Prayer to clarify something. Instead of lead us not into temptation, he proposed back in, was it 2019, do not let us fall into temptation. And he said, it's not a good translation because it speaks of a God who induces temptation, which God doesn't. God does not tempt But the Greek is best translated as, lead us not into temptation. And today I'm going to try to walk the fine line of what is temptation and what is a trial and a test. 
And I realized that this is one of those things you can fall off either side of it and misunderstand what's happening. As you think about um, lead us not into temptation as opposed to just don't let us fall into temptation, what about things like didn't God point out Job, his servant, to Satan, who's out prowling around the world to, to seek to steal and kill and destroy, and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And it leads to all these things that, that Satan does to Job. Or what about Jesus? He was driven in that gospel rest, uh, reading. He's, it, the word, it, the Holy Spirit drove him. It's like, like pushed him out into the wilderness. In Matthew's version, it says, in order to be tempted by Satan. So there are a bunch of scriptures that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pull together on this topic today. So on the back of your, your uh, sermon, uh, your uh, bulletin, uh, there's a place for sermon notes. I'm going to tell you a couple scriptures. You might want to just write the reference down. And as you wrestle with the topic of temptation in the coming days and weeks, you might want to look some of these up. And the first one I want to go to is James 1.13. Because right away, James is super clear. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. I think that's what Pope Francis was picking up. And by the way, I texted my fellow priest down at Sacred Heart, Father Mike, and I said, are you guys praying Pope Francis's changed Lord's Prayer? And he said, the current missile for the Eucharist is not using it. People did it for a little while, and then they reverted back to the traditional language. So I was grateful for that. But um, James writes, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He tempts no one. God does not tempt. Temptation, by one definition, is incitement to sin. But I'm also going to give you the definition of what is a test or a trial. A test is a situation that reveals how far you can go right and avoid wrong. It's revealing something and ideally strengthening you. So we're going to look at kind of both aspects of this. What, what we need to note is we are not praying, Father, don't tempt me. You would never pray that because he would never do it. He does not tempt. God does not tempt us. He never does. Now, we have to do a word study here, and um, we have to look at a Greek word. Perasmon is the Greek word that occurs 21 times in the New Testament. But if you do a word search on the ESV, or probably the NIV, I didn't look at all the other ones, the word tempt only shows up 12 times. In other words, there's a certain Greek word that can be translated multiple ways. About half of the time, it's translated as tempt. And that word falls into three types of categories. So the first one is tests and trials. So it can be translated as tempt, or it can be translated as trials, tests. You know, God, um, it, interesting, in the Old Testament, God, it says, God tested Abraham in Genesis 22 when he asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Only the old King James Version calls it tempted. But God doesn't tempt, it says in James, so it's better to say tests there. But in the New Testament, tests and trials are picked up. Again, James, let me go back to James. James, uh, now at the first uh, chapter, verse 2 and 3, says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials. There's that word. It's that Greek word. It's called, now, it's, now instead of temptations, it's called trials. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing, trials, tests of your faith produces steadfastness. So when you go through a trial, a test, a temptation, 
it can produce steadfastness and can reveal how strong your commitment to the Lord is or how weak it is and where you need to grow. That's James 1 and 2. And so when you fail in a trial like that, you might be doubting God's goodness. God, why is this trial coming upon me? Why am I suffering here? Are you not good enough to help me? Do you not care? People might cry out like that and fail the test rather than say, God, I know you love me and I know that you have my ultimate good in mind. And so I'm just gonna trust, trust you as I go through this suffering or this trial or this test or whatever it is. Another way to fail such a trial or test is to think, well, God's not showing up with the deliverance. I'm gonna do it in my strength. And then we go off and try and compromise with some worldly value to get what we want our way. And we fail the test. Now, those are tests and trials. Then there's also external enticements. So here would be like our gospel reading in Mark chapter 1. There's another scripture for you, Mark 1, uh, 13. So Jesus is driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Again, this is where that fine line goes. God doesn't tempt, but he certainly uses the tempter's work to to test us and try us. So Jesus is out there in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. These external enticements are being placed upon him. And if you want to alliterate what the temptations look like, you could do it with the letter P. It's pleasure, pride, and power. You know, Jesus was hungry. He was fasting for 40 days. The desires of the flesh, it's not sinful to be hungry. Even before sin enters in in Genesis 3, man, Adam and Eve, are placed in a garden as hungry beings. God gives them all the plants as food. They're they're created with a hunger for food that God would provide. Likewise, Jesus, being fully human, experienced hunger. It says he was hungry. But the problem is from the outside, the enticement comes to use your power. If you're really the son of God, just say to this stone, become bread. Even though God the Father had sent him out there to do a work that was a a type of test, a trial, Satan wants him to take the easy path. And Jesus replies, steadfast, using scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Satan changes his tack a little bit and starts misquoting scripture, and he goes for the the pride angle. Well, if you're the son of God, do something spectacular. Jump off the temple because the word says he'll command his angels to protect you. He won't let you dash your foot against the stone. Pride, right? If you're the son of God, jump off the temple and let's see the angels protect you. That would be awesome to see. And what's Jesus say? No, the word says do not Put the Lord your God to the test. So we can tempt and test God. We can incite him to come against us. And scripture says, don't do that. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. But the outside enticement was appealing to pride. And Jesus was without sin and he didn't fall. And then the third one was about power. If you'll just worship me, Jesus, I can spare you that cross and all that's coming. And I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus, once again, withstands the temptation and says, get away from me. And interestingly enough, it says, and then Satan departed from him until an opportune time. That was not the only time that Jesus was tempted. He was tempted constantly. But that's external enticements. I mean, think about Genesis 3, right? Satan comes, the serpent comes to Eve and says, you know, did God say you should not eat from any tree in the garden? And then they have a little discussion about what God did or didn't say. And then he finally says, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you'll have wisdom and know the difference between right and wrong. 
right? In implying that God doesn't want you to find out where his power source comes from or somehow that you can be equal to him. There's this enticement from the serpent for Eve to take something she shouldn't take. And she and Adam both do it. It comes from outside. Jesus was sent out into the wilderness to be tempted by the tempter, the tempter. That's in Matthew 4. He's called that. I mean, Jesus, I mean, Satan is good at this, by the way. I don't think we need to take it lightly. It's what he does, and he's been practiced for a long time. So we should not treat it like it's some kind of nerf sport. This is dangerous and deadly, and he's really good at it. So we've got to be mindful of that. And it's not necessarily Satan directly. I mean, he's, he's one being, and there's lots of people, but he's got demons, and he's got the media often, and he's got other people, and so these external in- incitements can come from all kinds of different places. One simple throwaway line in some show you watch on Netflix can be enough to cause you to start wanting something. I was watching an old Tom Selleck movie series, uh, Jesse Stone, about uh, like, a, it's a, like a book, a private investigator kind of thing, or a, a detective thing, and he, his problem is he's an alcoholic, and he just keeps drinking scotch. And I don't know why, I just was watching, I was saying, I want a scotch, just because I was watching it. External incitement, it's constantly coming. And then there's a third one that's something Jesus himself didn't deal with. This would be internal disordered desires. Jesus' desires were not disordered. And here's your text for this, Romans 7. So, so far, if you're writing scriptures down, I've given you James 1.13, James 1, 2, and 3, Mark 1.13, and now Romans 7. In Romans 7, the apostle Paul makes the statement that I don't understand my own actions. I do the very thing I don't want to do. And he's describing the internal conflict that all believers experience. He says that I am captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, meaning his physical body. Although with his mind he wants to do the law of God, in his body dwells this sin that keeps causing him to do the wrong thing. And he cries out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says, praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. There is deliverance for this. But we're dealing with an internal problem. In the baptism service, we renounce three things. And they're kind of these three, but it's not as cut and dry as this. But the world, the devil, and the flesh kind of are the world presents all kinds of trials and tests and suffering opportunities. The flesh, the internal things, our own internal affections that are disordered. And then, of course, the devil and those that are working with him from the outside are causing us these incitements to sin. All of this is playing in our lives, constantly pressuring us. So God definitely tests us for our growth, although he never tempts us. So here, again, another scripture for you. This is James 1, verse 4. In James 1, verse 4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this is where the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness and let it have its full effect. God is preparing you and I to become more and more like Christ for perfection eventually. He actually wants us to be able to withstand in his grace and his power. And so that's why these trials and these tests come. So Hebrews, another scripture for you if you're writing them down, Hebrews 12, three through seven is super important. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. 
Jesus actually did in the Garden of Gethsemane. That struggle was so bad, he actually had blood coming out of his pores, which apparently is a, an actual physiological thing that can happen. And then he shed his blood on the cross as well. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And by discipline, don't think punish. Think strengthen, try, train, prepare, help you get better and better and better at resisting. Because God loves us, he brings these tests, these trials. He even will use, and this is where the fine line is, he will even use the tempter's evil as a test. He can do that because he's God. So why would we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation? Well, because although God is testing us to strengthen us, we have an enemy who wants to bring us down. Here's another scripture to write down, 1 Peter 5, 8. In that, Peter, the apostle, who, remember, denied Jesus three times in his most critical moment of his ministry, the night that he was arrested, three times he's denied, as Jesus promised would happen. Peter later writes, after he's been reinstated, he says, be sober-minded and watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, like ready to get somebody. Sin is crouching at your door. Satan is constantly looking. He would love to catch you in a moment of a test and then make it a temptation and cause you to fall. The enemy attacks where the wall of the city is lowest. Why would he go over the high part? He's going to find where the weak spot is. Do you know what yours is? You know, it'd be helpful to just Google the seven deadly sins and get that list, you know, pride, envy, sloth, all this gluttony, all those things, and, and start asking, which one of these would be the easiest one for a prowling enemy to attack me in? That would be the head-on attack. Of course, you can be focused on that, and he'll get you from the side, too, because like I said, he's good at this. But where was your wall the lowest? When I was early in ministry, um, I did a discipleship thing with another youth pastor, and one of the activities in this, this discipleship manual was to write the scandalous news article that could be published against you. Local pastor indicted in insurance fraud, or whatever it is. And I had to write the article. I had to do the internal work and say, Where am I, where's my wall the lowest? If Satan was to get me and I fell, what would it look like? What would actually be in there? It was an awful task, but it's an important one. Now, not every sin is like, you know, the kind that wrecks a career or brings a church scandal or whatever, because we're tempted constantly, but it's helpful to figure out where am I most vulnerable. Now, note in Jesus's life, there are many temptations, but his public ministry is bookended by a time in the wilderness or in the garden. And it's just like Adam was in that first garden being tempted and he failed and plunged the rest of us with him into sin and suffering and death. Our Eucharistic prayer says it every week, that God created us for himself, but then we fell. And Jesus came and did what the first Adam couldn't do. So Jesus was tempted in the wilderness right after he was baptized for 40 days, and he defeated Satan there until an opportune time. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was being tempted that night in many different ways. And he stood. He prayed himself, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Effectively, he prayed, lead me not into temptation. 
but thy will be done. And in that case, the will of the Father was, you've got to drink this cup of suffering. You've got to go through this. And he did that for us. He did what we could not and frankly cannot do. You and I cannot withstand this in our own strength. It's only by his grace that we're able to, but his grace is there for us. Because he defeated, we now can also succeed in his power with him, crying out on him, depending on him constantly. Jesus endured the wilderness and garden and every temptation because we couldn't and still can't apart from his help. Where Adam failed, Christ won and succeeded. And now he helps us in our struggle. And here's the last verse I'm going to give you this morning. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where in that passage, um, which we read, it's our reading, in that passage, the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians and us through them that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide the way out so that you can withstand it. So what we've got to do is we've got to pray for his help. We've got to, well, first of all, we've got to be watching for these things that are coming at us. We've got to pray for his help. And then we've got to look and say, God, I'm feeling the temptation now. Where's the way out? Show me what it is. Give me the strength to take it. And then when we fail, we also, we talked about forgiveness last week. We know that God will forgive us because of what Christ has done, and he didn't fail, and he defeated it, there is forgiveness for us when we do fail. But what God is doing is he's actually strengthening us. He wants us to get better and better and better at withstanding temptation. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, even though Jesus had to drink it. Maybe let this temptation go by. Lead me not into temptation. Next week, we're going to hear part two, but it's interesting. J.I. Packer said, if you are presently conscious that you are being tempted, then pray, deliver me from evil. And if you're not aware of any temptation, it's smooth sailing right now, then pray the first part of that. Lord, lead me not into temptation. There's kind of two parts to this, this line, this prayer for petition, or this petition for protection at the end of the Lord's Prayer. I was glad to uh, hold on to the collect of the day and I'm going to close with this because it's so appropriate. As I started by admitting our, our affections, my own affections are constantly at war. So I want to pray and invite you to join me. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.